0: a reading from Luke twenty-one twenty-eight through 38. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Take a moment to pray together. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we come this morning. Drawing near to you and praying that you would draw near to us, that you would have a word for us that would be words of comfort, as a word also to challenge us, help us this morning to meet you and encounter you, because uh, we would like to be transformed by all that you've done through your son, and we ask these things in his name, amen. You know, last week David had the unenviable task of preaching, arguably the most difficult passage to interpret in the gospel of luke and if you miss it you know i recommend you listen to the podcast of the sermon because i cannot go back and recover all the ground he has covered cuz he really did a marvelous job sorting it out for us and today i'm going to pick up where we left off last week in luke chapter 21 and just to give you a little bit of background of what was happening, you know, the passage begins with Jesus responding to a comment about how marvelous and astounding the temple was in Jerusalem. It really was a sight to be seen in those days. And Jesus said, the day is coming when that temple will literally be destroyed. And the people asked him a question, wait, teacher, teacher. This is in verse 7 of chapter 21. When will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And Jesus takes this opportunity to warn his disciples and his followers about what is to come in the near term because in AD 70, we know that that temple was actually destroyed just as Jesus said. And in the long term, he begins to talk about the end of history, God's judgment, which is coming. And he's saying in between, there's going to be so lots of hard things, so don't be surprised, don't be terrified, because it is all part of God's plan. I mean, that he's still in control of all the, this, but things are going to be really hard, you know? There will be false teachers, there's going to be persecutions, families are going to be divided, but don't forget God's kingdom is coming and his judgment is coming. And rather than be terrified, remember, God has promised something. That evil won't win and all things are indeed going to be made new. That God's grace and mercy. And if you read the chapter carefully, you read about his grace and mercy and you begin to see this isn't just a warning, but also words of hope, exposition of hope. And when you begin to understand this, as David said last week, you start to become a person who is a non-anxious presence in our world. As you grow in this hope, you know, and Jesus calls his followers to persevere and endure. That really is is the best way I can summarize what was said last week. And I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I slept very well this week. Um, As I was following the unfolding of the invasion of Ukraine, you know, I was starting to get anxious as I was following all the reports of the massive troop buildup. I was feeling nervous, anxious, just discouraged. I kept checking the news on my phone. You know, you kind of knew it was coming, but you were hoping and praying that it didn't happen, but it did happen. And then the invasion and then you see all the images of the Ukrainian people taking whatever they can grab, fleeing their homes as the troops begin to enter the country. You know, and imagine for a moment, an instant, when all the stability and routine that you've been used to and you have had, your hopes and dreams for the next year, taken away from you. And you're afraid for your safety as well as of your family, your friends, your neighbors. It's just devastating and heartbreaking. And we pray the war would cease and peace would come very quickly. But these are the kinds of situations and emotions Jesus actually discusses and addresses here. He's telling us there will be hard times and you will want to ask, why, Lord? Okay. When will you return and make all things right? And Lord... Are you coming soon, as you said? And as our hearts ask these questions, Jesus has words for us in this passage. Because in verse 28, he says, Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. I mean, his words are really kind of this, Hey, pay attention. When these things take place, straighten up, look up, raise your heads and don't lose hope because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus says when these things occur and if you go back to verse 7, these things refer to when Jerusalem is about to fall, when life as you know it is being turned upside down and we are feeling worried and anxious and he says, look up and raise your heads in confidence. And I mean, it's an odd thing to say. Stand in confidence? Wait, is it enough to deal with all of the things you're experiencing and feeling? You know, Jesus did say in Luke chapter 21, verse 10 earlier, nations will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And he says, what do you do? And he says in verse 31, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near." God's kingdom inaugurated in Jesus Christ is coming, he's saying. His righteous judgment is going to come. All things are going to be made new. A day is coming when there will be no more wars, death, injustice, or tears. This is our hope, and we are to welcome the king who comes to free us with rejoicing. So he's saying, lift up your heads. Don't give up on hope, because our hearts are prone to do so, but remember Christ's victory on the cross, his magnificent defeat, what his death and resurrection proclaimed to us, and he will return. See? And if you begin to look at verse 34, you know what Jesus then switches to? He says, In order to be prepared for this, okay, you need to do something, and he says, There, you have to be watchful. You have to be ready and faithful in the present time. So in verse 34, Jesus warns against lives weighed down spiritually. Weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. So in light of everything that you're feeling, he says, Wait, before you get off track here, let me give you a warning. Don't be weighed down spiritually. Meaning, don't become lethargic, fatigued, unmotivated, discouraged. You know, just sort of letting your life take over and your hope in the gospel just kind of dissipating because everything else is taking all of your mental, emotional, and spiritual energies. And he says this usually happens in two ways. First of all, he warns against being weighed down with this unbridled indulgence, this dissipation and of drunkenness. In Greek, it's literally an excessive drinking and hangover. And maybe you're thinking, oh, well, I don't really drink, so that doesn't apply to me. But I think Jesus is talking about something bigger than just being drunk, although it's not less than that. He's talking about escaping, right? Partying to forget and ignore your anxieties and fears. You've read about probably how much alcohol people consume during the pandemic, What were we all doing? We're trying to forget about life, right, for a moment. But it doesn't have to be about substance abuse. Whatever you are turning to in order to escape, perhaps the excessive exercising, binge-watching TV, one of the things I'm very guilty of, overworking, retail therapy maybe, hoarding. But the point is this. Jesus is saying whatever you're using to escape, in order to not look to Jesus, you know what begins to happen? Your faith begins to dissipate. And he says, are you feeling weighed down spiritually because you have been dealing with your fears and your anxiety through escaping rather than drawing near to him? See? And I bet every single one of us has have have some sort of strategy of escape and dealing with all of these things we all feel. And Jesus is saying, hey, watch out. Don't let those things spiritually weigh you down. But don't forget to lift up your head. Raise your head. Straighten up. And look at me. The second thing he warns us about, and the way this weighing down actually works, is not just through escaping, but being weighed down by the cares of this life, which is one of these sneaky ways in which things can be harmful for us spiritually. Because the cares of the life are really the less obviously harmful things because these are routines. The things we do every day, normal part of life, but because they're routine, it could be taking care of your family, going to work, your schooling, all the things you do every single day, it's easy to justify it and do it without thought. And as one commentator put it, James Edwards, in his commentary, he says this, Luke repeatedly warns against allowing the persistent, obligatory cares of life to eclipse the one thing of unsurpassable importance, following Jesus. You know, if you think about uh, the parable of the sower back in, back in Luke chapter 8, Jesus warned hey, the word of God is actually sown on different types of soil. And in one type, where the seed actually lands on thorny ground, he says this, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Or in Luke 12, Jesus says to his disciples, do not be anxious or be worried about your life. God will take care of you. He keeps talking about how our anxieties about everyday cares of life actually can move us further away from him. You see, our hearts are weighed down by the cares of this life. And here's what I think he means. I mean, are you so consumed with what you have? You know, maybe I got married this year. Amazing. We had a baby. We bought a house. My company went public. I got into the college of my dreams. And these things are so weighing you down because they have completely taken over your imagination. You're no longer as close to Jesus as you used to be because you're so infatuated with these things. Or... Are you so consumed with what you don't have? How come these people have what I want, what I desperately want? And you're weighed down. Or what you hope to have. All of these things, being weighed down, makes our hearts numb, unresponsive, hopeless, in such a way that we stop trusting in Jesus and his words. So Jesus is warning Against these things. And instead, he says in verse 36, you know what he says? Stay awake at all times. Did you notice that? Notice Jesus doesn't say anything about, well, let's figure out how to predict my return here. He's not interested in that. He just says what? Be vigilant and persevere in the present. Stay awake by doing what? Praying. And then an informed. Diligent and intelligent way at all times. Because we pray knowing Jesus, who ushered in God's kingdom, is calling his followers in obedient discipleship to be ready for his return when the kingdom of God comes in fullness, in power, and in glory. You know, he tells his disciples in the next chapter in the Garden of Gethsemane, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I mean, do you find this interesting that this is where Jesus goes in telling us how to deal with all of these things he talked about, about judgment, about destruction, about suffering, about hard things. He says, watch out. Don't let your hearts drift from me. And then he says, stay awake at all times and pray. And you're thinking, wait, wait, how can we trust this? Why should we bother? You know, how do we know that these things are actually going to be helpful? Especially in a passage about apocalypse. And I've been giving a lot of thought this week to verse 33. Where Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, Jesus' words, will not pass away. Do you really believe that to be true? Because I feel like this is sort of the linchpin in this passage of where he is telling us we are to find hope. Do you feel confident that although heaven and earth was going to pass away, his words will not pass away? Because I think in our society today, there are many who don't really believe that his words can be trusted in. Many of us feel that maybe his words aren't as relevant. Maybe they were really good for the first century world, but it's not the same today. You know, talk about, he's talking about second coming, judgment. The whole idea of the second coming is something, well, maybe it's not as important. That was for first century people, but no intelligent person today can really believe that he's going to return. I mean, maybe Jesus was just wrong when he said he would return soon. Other people are saying, oh, all this stuff about spirits and demons, first century stuff, Christ's teaching has passed away. There are a whole lot of people who think, well, Jesus' words are last and final, but it doesn't seem that relevant anymore. I mean, think of ethics. What do you mean Jesus is teaching that sex is meant to be for a man and a woman in a covenant relationship of marriage? I mean, and outside of that is forbidden in the scriptures. That seems out of date. I mean, we know a whole lot more about this stuff. Or how about about greed and avarice? Jesus calls us to live generously, to give away our resources in eye-popping proportions for the needs of the poor and God's kingdom work. You know, when you think about all of that, do you really believe Jesus' words are not going to pass away? Or do you believe they're obsolete or outdated? Because what Jesus says is a huge and bold
0: statement.
1: He's saying, you have to trust me and what I say because this is where you're going to find life. What does this mean? You know, that heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will not. Okay? Let me tell you at least three things, at least three things I think Jesus is saying here. Because this is important because this is where we find hope. The first thing I think Jesus is telling us is his words must be the words of God himself. Did you catch what he is saying? He's claiming to be God himself in this verse. It reminds you of Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 where it says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever." It is an indirect claim that Jesus kind of slipped in here. He's making, and you miss unless you're paying attention, because all throughout the gospel, he makes all of these claims about who he is, that he is the Son of God. He has authority. How else does he go about forgiving people their sins as though he is the one who is coming on the last day to judge the living and the dead? When people like Thomas refer to him as my Lord and my God, he doesn't tell him, I'm just a man, which is what the apostle does in the book of Acts, right? Rather, he receives it as if it is natural and right. And we know he does miracles, like he raised the dead, cleansed the lepers, he made the blind see and the lame walk. It is this implicit claim that Jesus is saying he has, that he has God's authority, heavenly authority, The only one who doesn't pass away is what? God himself, right? That's what he is saying. That's the first thing that Jesus is saying here. The second thing is, if heaven and earth pass away, but his words do not pass away, you know what he is actually claiming? That his words are relevant and significant today for you and me. His words never become obsolete. His words must be for today as it was for the first century or I don't know how else you find hope in them today. These are significant things he's saying for our friends and also our cultural moment. How often do you hear people argue that uh, Jesus was just a first century person so how can he actually talk about our world today in an intelligible way. He knows nothing about this. And we have to take a little bit of salt and supplement what is obviously deficient in his teaching. But that may be true if he was just a man. But he's saying something very different, isn't he? He's saying, my words don't pass away because I am God himself incarnate. He has a word for us that has lasted for 2,000 years that even people today all around the world who are suffering, who are experiencing persecution are saying, I have words of life here. That the church continues to grow around the world. Why? Because his words are relevant today as they were back then. That's what he is claiming. And even in the midst of bitter... Opposition. He continues to put forth this reality. And this is one of the reasons the religious leaders of Jesus' day wanted to put him to death. Because his words were at odds with how they were understanding how the world should be. His words remain words of comfort because they never pass away and they remain relevant today. And the last thing, if these words of Jesus are true, it kind of dawned on me, his words can never be overthrown. It cannot be suppressed. He's the only one who understands what's coming in the future. He's the only one who understands how all of these things are going to be wedded and webbed together. Jesus is telling these people, hey, terrible times are coming. There's going to be misunderstanding. There's going to be false teachers, false leaders, opposition, persecution. You're going to have hardship in your family, family dividing over Jesus. And it's rather a grim look at what you're going to face. And he says, I tell you the truth, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. My gospel is true. I am never going to be overthrown. My words will remain. You know, that is one of the greatest comforts the gospel actually gives us. And we can be sure that this is true because he is the one that also gave himself up for us, the scriptures tell us. His words will remain. You know, let me give you an illustration. You know, one day when I was in elementary school, my family was out shopping at a department store probably Macy's in Manhattan now I think about it. I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure that was the case. And we wandered around the store, and we ended up in the stationary section because back in those days, department stores still had stuff like this. And we saw a globe, you know, one of those globes. um, We got the one that ended up having like the parchment look, not the blue one. And my dad was like, all right, we're going to buy this so you can all study geography. He's a good Asian dad, you know. Um, We had that along with our Encyclopedia Britannica and everything else that you should have in your house, right? So we got home, and there it sat in the corner, um, and I used to love spinning the thing. You just spin it really fast. It's kind of fun, and you find the map of the U.S. I found, oh, here's New York State. You study the different state capitals, and I'm like, I think we live about here. And it's kind of fun. And then you turn the thing, I found China, I found Japan, I found Korea. I was like, why is Korea so small compared to the rest of these countries? And you begin to get a sense of the scale of the the world. Keep going, and then you hit the USSR. Massive, largest country in the world. You got Moscow, Leningrad. Keep going a little further. East and West Germany. Years later, I remember visiting my parents' house and looking at the globe and realizing this thing is outdated, okay? (laughs) The Cold War has ended. No more East and West Germany, no more USSR. Names of countries have changed as well as cities. Leningrad is now back to being St. Petersburg once again. And Kiev used to be spelled differently. The Cold War had ended. Dialectical Marxist Leninism passed away. Okay, so suddenly the globe I had out of date. How many things get renamed? Let me ask you this: buildings demolished and new structures erected, statues removed. Even here, you know, rem- you know the main Facebook campus, sorry, Meta, right? Y- used to be Sun Microsystems, if you remember. Remember it with Sun Quentin, affectionately called back then. Things change here. Jesus' words will never pass away. They haven't, have they? Of course, the opposition we face is nothing compared to what the poor people of Jesus's they faced or what the persecuted church faced today. But they all stood firm, you see? Jesus is telling us hey, as I tell you what is to come, never forget. Here's the one thing that does not change. You can tether yourself to be rooted in is my promises and what I've done and what I will do. That is our hope. And God says, stand up, lift up your heads and trust and believe this is what I have for you. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father, we come this morning with heavy hearts, with anxious hearts, with the cares of the world around us, or even the everyday things. And oftentimes we feel like we just want to escape. But we ask that we find refuge and rest in what you promise. That your word is true, that your son has come to liberate us from our sin and our brokenness, and that one day you will make all things new. And we pray, Father, that we would be able to look to you and find comfort in your Son, and find new life in Him, whether it's for the first time or for the thousandth time. And we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.